Amen. If you have your Bibles, we're going to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 18 and 1 Peter chapter 2.
except a hundred foreskins of the Philistines, that he may be avenged of the king's enemies. Now Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. And when his servants told David these words, it pleased David well to be the king's son-in-law. Before the time had expired, David arose and went along with his men and killed two hundred of the Philistines. And David brought their foreskins, which were given in full number to the king, that he might become the king's son-in-law. And Saul gave him his daughter, Michal, for a wife. But when Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David, and that Michal, Saul's daughter, loved him, Saul was even more afraid of David, so Saul was David's enemy continually. And then let's flip over to 1 Peter chapter 2. In this passage, Peter is talking to servants and masters. Uh, and we need to remember, uh, this is not that the Bible is advocating slavery in any way. It does not. Uh, the, the best parallel today would be the person who is in employment. Now, so if you're working for someone, it's like you're the servant, and your boss is like the master. Uh, so if you, if you look at that, that might be a fairly close parallel. But let's start with verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. A number of years ago, actually it was in my last church, so it was quite a few years ago. Uh, wow, I would think about 24 years ago now. That's too long a time. Uh, a pastor in our community had a, a, a minister's fellowship uh, of the different pastors in the community. And so uh, a pastor in the community taught me a bit of uh, a version of the serenity prayer. I mean, many of you have heard the serenity prayer. Uh, and it's really what well, stayed with me for a long time. Uh, and it goes like this. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I can't change. I think it's a little too loud, Federico. Bring it down just a little bit. Uh, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I can't change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to hide the bodies of those who push me too far. 
kind of held on to that for a little bit. And, and that's one of the benefits of a big building like City Temple, you know. Uh, I'm a little concerned when we tear down, but uh, we'll see how that goes. Uh, and obviously, this is a bit, a bit tongue in cheek. Uh, but sometimes you feel that way. I mean, it's not uh, only in a, a context like this, sometimes uh, you might be at work and you seem to be surrounded by people who are out to get you, uh, who want to bring you down. Uh, and this is really true for us as men. I mean, we go out, uh, and again, this series, uh, the, the first part of this series is directed primarily toward us men, uh, not to exclude the women, uh, but it is uh, for us to, to learn a little bit uh, about what we go through as men and how we need to respond as men. Uh, and so it gets tough for us as men especially if we're surrounded by people we think that are out to get us, people that are trying to bring us down, uh, people that are unfair in their competition. Uh, sometimes people want to try to shame us. There's all kinds of things that can happen in the workplace or, or in our communities. Uh, and, you know, frankly, we as men, we do not like to endure mistreatment, strife, and struggle of any kind. Now, it's true, nobody likes to endure these things, but I think sometimes we men really don't want to endure it. Um, we don't usually tolerate very well being shamed or feeling shame ourselves. Uh, a lot of times we won't get mad, but we will look to how to get even, you know. Uh, revenge is a dish best served cold is sometimes, you know, what we can think. We'll resist this. Uh, sometimes we'll murder because of it. Uh, sometimes it's physical murder in many countries of the world. That doesn't normally happen here in the United Kingdom. A lot of times in the United Kingdom we do more what I call metaphorical murder, where we try to tear people down to their co-workers. We attack them behind their backs. Uh, we want to kill their reputations. Uh, that's one of the things that so much of social media today has gotten very, very good in, this kind of murder. Uh, and we think in all of this, in our response to mistreatment, you know, somehow we think that we've got to be strong, we've got to be tough, and that if we attack, if we tear down, if we get violent physically, emotionally, spiritually, or otherwise, you know, that somehow we're showing our strength as men, somehow we're showing our virility as men, you know, that we can stand up to anything. Uh, we can be a bit like the boxer Tyson Fury, you know, and bring down whatever enemy that, that, we, might, that we might face. And the problem is that these kinds of responses are not really indicators of strength. They're not really indicators of courage. These kinds of responses often are signs of weakness and fear. You know, so often I've been around couples in, in uh, 30 years of ministry where, where I've seen that there's been uh, mistreatment of some sort in the household. And I've learned that many times it's, it's all because of fear. It's all because of weakness. And we try to appear strong. If we're going to be real men in Christ, we need to remember how diamonds are formed under pressure. There's no pain, no gain. If we suffer well, if we deal with mistreatment well, 
or perceived mistreatment, because a lot of times, frankly, what we think is mistreatment really isn't. But if we deal with it well, it's actually a sign of our strength. And it's a sign of Jesus living inside of us. But how do we learn that? Because there's not a lot of good examples in the world today. Well, certainly I think we can learn a lot from Saul and David in this story. You know, we see how Saul treated David and how David responds, and it helps us see how to respond when we experience difficulty, struggle, mistreatment, and strife that we men face repeatedly in the workplace and other places in our lives. Now, now note here, we're not talking about suffering justly. Sometimes, frankly, guys, we do stupid stuff and we bear the consequences of the stupid stuff that we do, uh, normally called sin, uh, and we can suffer because of our sin. Well, in that case, you just got to take it because we deserve what we have coming to us. So we're not talking about times when we suffer because we've acted wrongly or sinfully, but we're talking here about times when we suffer unjustly, when we are mistreated, disrespected, dishonored, shamed, or treated in any number of other negative ways uh, in our lives. How do we respond? Now we're tempted here at first to say, well, David, his situation is really not like ours. What he was going through is really, was really not quite as bad as what I'm going through. And so let's look here at this story and, and look at what we read today. And we're going to refer to a lot of texts more than what we read today. But let's look at this in, in 1 Samuel chapter 18. If you look at this and you understand what it's saying, you'll understand that Saul was the ultimate horrible boss. It's very difficult to imagine a boss worse than King Saul. I mean, look at this. I'm going to hit this very quickly. Saul got angry because of David's success. That's verse 8. And then because of this, Saul eyed David. This means that Saul was out to get him and was going to keep his eyes on David to see the ways that he could bring him down. That's verse 9. Saul, because of his attitude, actually became demonized. So there was a demonic spirit that was influencing him against David. That's verse 10. Saul repeatedly tried to kill David. You see it twice there in verse 11. David evades him twice when Saul tries to, to pin him to the wall with a spear. Saul was afraid of David because of the favor that was upon David. That's verse 12. Saul here demotes David unfairly and unjustly. He makes David... Oops, sorry. Lost my spot there. There we go. That's verse 13. Saul demotes David just to a commander of thousands and a thousand and then makes David leave his presence. So David had a high position. Saul demotes him unjustly and unfairly. Saul was afraid of David because of his success. Verse 15, Saul tried to put David in situations that seemed good on the outside, but actually were attempts to get others to kill David. Verse 17, 
Saul went back on his word to David at the last minute. He promised him his daughter in marriage, his eldest daughter. And then at the last minute, he says, oh, no, no, I'm going to marry her, send her off to somebody else. Saul tried to put David into situations that would be a snare to him, that would trap him, that would trip him up. Saul put David into situations where he thought David would fail and die, even. So Saul said, I'm not going to kill him, but I'm going to put him in a situation like this, you know, going after the foreskins of the the Philistines. I mean, that's pretty gruesome business. Uh, Game of Thrones has nothing on that when you think about it. Uh, and, and so Saul was hoping that David would get killed. It was so bad that the text says that Saul made himself David's enemy continually. It wasn't the action of David, it was the action of Saul. And Saul was intentionally making himself the enemy of David. I don't know about you, but I've been in a few situations where a few of these things were true, but I don't know if I've ever been in a situation when all of these things were true. Any any guys here tried to have their boss, have have your boss tried to kill you? Uh, Not normally the done thing in British business, but I mean, I guess it could happen. I mean, this is pretty intense stuff. So Saul here is the ultimate boss, the ultimate horrible, boss. Hard to imagine anybody worse. So David here, now understand David's a, he's a warrior. He's a strong guy. He could easily kill Saul. There's a lot of things that David could do, but when you look at the text and not just this particular text, but looking all the way into the end of first Samuel to see the interaction between the two, to see how David responded in all of this, David represents the ultimate warrior who endures with righteousness and faithfulness. We need to understand here, guys, that enduring mistreatment, responding in a proper way, bearing up under difficult times, only a warrior does that. We have in our minds that in order to be strong, you've got to bring other people down. But that's not the mindset of a warrior here. Now, we're not talking about warriors in those days where we're going to kill people. But we men, we deal with these realities, uh, as we talked a couple of weeks ago, in a sense, we're kind of born to be warriors, not necessarily on the field of battle where blood is shed, but in the way that we go about life. And so David here represents the ultimate warrior who endures with righteousness and faithfulness. David was not passive in the face of Saul's opposition. He wasn't a doormat that just allowed Saul to walk all over him. And David didn't deal with all of this dispassionately. David is a a guy with some very strong feelings. So David, he, he endured all the agony and difficult emotions that we would have in the same situation. He dealt with fear, anxiety, anger, disappointment, confusion, all the kinds of things that we would have if we're in the same kind of situation. Yet David chose to respond in strength with righteousness and faithfulness. 
So how did he do this? And I'm going to give you a few verses along the way. Uh, all of these are in 1 Samuel. I'm just going to give you the, uh, uh, the chapter and verses. But they're all in 1 Samuel. Well, first of all, and one of the most important things David did, in my opinion, David surrounded himself with other men to help and support him. He surrounded himself with other men. You see this in 22, verse 1 and 2 and following, but throughout the text. David surrounded himself with some warriors, guys who could be strong alongside of him. David surrounded himself with prophets, men who could really hear God and give wise counsel and wise direction. And, and David surrounded himself with even a ragtag group of people. You know, he didn't discriminate. It wasn't just, uh, you know, the big and the strong and, and those that perceived to be great. He took anybody that wanted to come alongside him and stand with him. Absolutely essential. Then, in 24.6, we see how David refused to put out his hand against Saul because Saul was the appointed leader. Now, putting out your hand against, uh, that's verbally, uh, that would be physically, in any other way. He refused to put out his hand against Saul because he understood Saul was the person who had the authority. He may not like it, Saul didn't deserve it. In fact, that by that point in time, God said, I'm taking it away from you. But he was still there. And so David responded to him in a proper way. David, verse 24, 8, uh, chapter 24, 8. David showed respect and appropriate honor to Saul. He respected Saul, even though Saul's behavior was totally inappropriate. Verse 24.10, David refused to listen to others who encouraged him to act against Saul. I mean, when you're a man and you're going through this kind of mistreatment, you'll be surrounded by people that say, hey, just get this guy. You're better than him. You're stronger than him. Bring him down. Put yourself in leadership. And David said, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to follow that bad counsel. David refused to harm or attack or sin against Saul, even though Saul was out to get him. Verse 20, chapter 24, verse 11. David trusted God to judge between him and Saul. He said, okay, God, you're in control of all this. I might have made a mistake, and I'm not even sure what mistake I made. God, you're the one that's going to have to sort this out. He trusted God to do it, rather than trying to do it himself. That's 24.12. Also in 24.12, David stated openly to Saul that he would not raise his hand against him. I mean, imagine how hard that would have been. You got some guy coming out for you, you know they're out to get you, and you say openly, okay, that's fine, you can try to come after me, but let me tell you, I'm not going to come after you. I'm not going to disrespect you uh, or dishonor you in any way. That's what, what David did. David repaid Saul good for evil, 24-17. David could have done all kinds of evil things against Saul, but instead, every time Saul did evil, David sought to do good. He did not repay evil for evil, but he repaid good for evil. David even protected Saul from death 
when Abishai wanted to pin him to the ground with the spears, chapter 26, verse 8 and 9. I imagine this. It would be the equivalent today would be your boss is out to get you, and you get word that's, that somebody is going to fire the boss. And maybe, you know, just unrighteously or righteously, whatever, they're going to fire the boss, and instead of letting the boss get fired, you come to defend your boss who's mistreating you. That's intense. But that's what David was doing there. David always spoke and acted with humility. Even though he was better, he was stronger, he was the one who had been anointed, but he was always acting out of humility. You see an example of this in 2619. And David throughout acted with faith in the Lord to deliver him. His orientation was, God will deliver me. God will deliver me. The Lord rewards, David says, every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord gave you into my hand today, saying to Saul, and I would not put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. Behold, as your life was precious this day in my sight, so may my life be precious in the sight of the Lord, and may he deliver me out of all tribulation. 26, verses 23 and 24. It's extraordinary. David trusted the Lord to deliver him, and the Lord did indeed deliver him, but boy, it seemed to take an awful long time. It wasn't quick. You see, the problem, men, what we have is we want it to be over fast. If we're suffering, if we're going through mistreatment, we want it to be gone right away. And if it's not gone reasonably quickly, in, in like a day or two, we'll rise up and take matters into our own hands. But sometimes, like David, we might be in situations where we're several years under this mistreatment before the Lord delivers us. I notice one last thing here. You see this in 2 Samuel chapter 1, that David honored Saul even in death. Even after Saul and Jonathan were killed, David said, oh, how the mighty have fallen. He honored Saul even in death. Not because of the bad things that he had done, but because he was who he was in the Lord. This is the example of David that we men need to follow. But the question then comes, how do we do this? I mean, this is a lot of work. This is not the easiest thing to deal with. It's not the easiest thing to go through. Is there something that we need? Is there an ingredient that we can add to our lives? Something that will empower us to go through the season of mistreatment and come out on the other side. And obviously, because I asked the question, there is an answer, and I believe that there is. And we find that in the passage there we read from First uh, Peter. Peter gives us a bit, uh, some further insights that will not only enable us to endure the difficulties, the mistreatments, the tribulation that we go through, but actually also maximize them for our own benefit. You see, there's something almost worse than 
rising up against the tribulations unrighteously and therefore uh, stepping out of the will of God. And that is that we don't benefit from the tribulation struggles, strife, and mistreatment that we, that we encounter. You see, these things should make us stronger. They should make us holier. They should purify us. And so often what I see, if men, if, if we do, if we, if we don't sin by rising up against it, so often what we do is we fail to learn from it and benefit from it and understand it. So we just kind of go through it again and it's not really to our benefit. And that's a sadness because every time we go through mistreatment, every time we go through struggle, through tribulation, the design is for us to grow stronger. The design is for us to become stronger in the Lord and in the strength of his might so that we live for Jesus with greater, greater clarity and greater purity and greater power. And that is possible. And Peter is, is hinting at that in, in here. And you see this in verse 19. And I'd like to suggest the parenthetical comment that Peter makes in verse 19 is the key to implementing everything that David did as well as learning from our experience, as well as moving into and flowing into the example of Jesus, who is the perfect example of how we deal with mistreatment. Because here was Jesus, he never sinned, and yet he went to the cross. He never did anything wrong, and yet people persecuted him and hated him and mistreated him. And he endured it not as some milk toast, not as some weakling, but he endured it in strength so that through the resurrection, after the cross of Christ, the power of God might be revealed, the grace of God in Jesus might be revealed, and that we all, men and women, might live boldly in faith for Jesus Christ, saved by grace through faith. So Jesus is our example, but how do we implement that? How do we make it a part of ourselves? How do we walk through what David did? And how do we do it rather naturally? See, the problem is, if we have to work for all of this stuff, it's hard to do. But there is a way to walk into this behavior, to these kinds of godly responses, in a naturally supernatural kind of way. That's verse 19. We need to be mindful of God. We need to be mindful of God, particularly mindful of God in Jesus Christ. Mindfulness is a big thing today. But a lot of times mindfulness in the world or the Buddhist sense is more about emptying your mind or just paying attention to what's going on around you. But being mindful of God is filling our minds with God in Christ Jesus. Writer to the Hebrews says, Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. It's the same kind of concept. And if we fill our minds with God, if we choose to focus on God, not the mistreatment, not the struggle, not the stress, not the strain, if we choose to focus on who we are in Jesus Christ, not who the world says that we are, if we choose to focus on God and get our strength from the Holy Spirit, being mindful of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, 
we will receive the power to go through these seasons. And Peter says there's so many kinds of uh, of benefits we receive. He says we will experience the grace to endure. You need grace to endure, verse 19. This will lead us to choose to do good, verse 20. If we're mindful of God, doing good begins to come naturally. It will help us to remember our calling to suffer as Jesus suffered. A lot of times guys come to me and say, I don't know what my calling is. And I say, well, I know your calling is to suffer. And also to live life to the full. But we, cut, we suffer as Jesus suffered, verse 21. Being mindful of God, we will avoid sin and deception. Verse 22, we'll see things as they really are and we won't fall into sin. If we're mindful of God, verse 23, we will not seek retribution or make threats. If we're mindful of God, we will entrust ourselves to God who judges justly, just as David did. Mindful of God, we will choose to die to sin and live to righteousness, enduring suffering through the cross, verse 24. Mindful of God, we will remember that we are with Jesus and Jesus is with us. Verse 25. We are united with Christ. We must be mindful of God. Mindful of God. The Holy Spirit will empower us to walk full in the example of David and of Jesus. We will always lose the battles that we face if we fail to endure mistreatment and struggles with righteousness and faithfulness. We'll always lose. But we don't have to. David and Jesus are our examples of how real men deal with mistreatment or unjust struggles in their lives. As we men surrender ourselves to Jesus, Jesus empowers us to endure with righteousness and faithfulness through his death and resurrection in the power of the Holy Spirit. This is a promise for us as men and for women, but especially for us as men. None of us likes mistreatment. I don't think Jesus liked dying on the cross. He didn't ask. He asked that this cup would pass from him. But yet he said, not my will, yours be done. And mindful of God, Jesus endured the cross. Mindful of God, we will endure the struggles that we face, but we can endure them with excellence and grace to the glory of God in Jesus Christ. Father God, thank you so much. Not for the struggles we face. We do pray, as Jesus taught us, that you'd lead us not into times of trial and testing and difficulty, but that you would indeed deliver us from evil. No, we thank you that you have given us a way to overcome all mistreatment as the men in Christ you created us to be. By the power of your Holy Spirit, 
Help us to remain continually mindful of God so that no matter what happens, whether good or negative, whether easy or difficult, we might live our lives with righteousness and faithfulness and we might experience all that you have for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. We love you and praise you and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.